Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome. Come on in. It's snowing like crazy out there. In fact, they're forecasting several feet for my area by the end of next week. Might be time to break out the old snowboard and torture my body for a few hours. Spoiler alert, I'm pretty terrible at it. I have a great show lined up for you guys this evening. I'm finally starting to get over this sinus infection and I'm feeling the energy boost. So let's get this thing started. On occasion, I receive calls from listeners presenting explanations for previous calls. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's always fun. Well, tonight I have a rare treat for you. I didn't have one of these rebuttal calls come in. I had three. The first was in regard to Adam's call from episode one of season five. A call about a sea monster sighting he'd had in Florida. A sighting that had such an influence that it inspired him to start his own cryptozoology website, thepinebarrensinstitute.com. Well, a caller from that very same episode called in with his explanation for Adam's sighting. The following is Brian's call from New Jersey. Hi, Derek. This is uh, Brian, the guy that he called in with the story from New Jersey from the Season 5 episode opener. Thanks, man, for getting that out there. In the spirit of helping out somebody else who's equally as curious about what they saw, the gentleman who had called in with the sea monster sighting from down there in Florida, where he said he'd seen that large snake-like creature in, um, you know, about maybe five and a half, six feet of water. Uh, anyway, I, I had an idea of something that might be, um, something that makes a little bit more sense than a supposed cryptid, I hate to say, but I'm wondering if you or, um, he, if he's out there and he's interested in looking into this, have ever heard of a creature called an oarfish? A-O-R fish. Oarfish are very large. Um, I've heard of some that are well over 20 feet, some over 30, and rumors of some that are even larger than that. Um, they are long and skinny, very sinuous, snake-like fish, uh, but they get, you know, as the size would be, you know, that long of a fish is going to have somewhat thick muscular of a body. Um, they do often have the coloration that he suggested he saw. Now, typically, they're not in that shallow water, from what I understand. They're typically more out, you know, in deeper water because they kind of hang face first in the water column and wait for smaller fish to drift above them, and then they strike, much like a fit or much like a snake. Um, they're very, very creepy. One of the most amazing things about them is that if you see their face, it looks a lot like a human's face, and it is. It would be extremely creepy to run into one. Um, I guess not a lot is known about them. They were only actually identified as a species like sometime maybe in the 70s or 80s, and very few have ever really been caught and there's few very few complete specimens 
But as far as I know, they are not dangerous to people in the slightest bit. They're very shy and usually just kind of keep to themselves. In fact, I think the only injury I've ever heard of was, um, I heard, um, there's a picture you can find online of one that was caught by a bunch of CBs that were deployed. Um, I think I want to say they were somewhere in the Mediterranean and one had washed up on the beach and, or maybe it was in Southeast Asia, but somewhere one had washed up on a beach and a bunch of CBs had found it. And I ended up actually getting to meet one of the guys that was in that photo, um, fellow CB. And he said that the only injury that anybody knew of was one of the guys that, um, when they were trying to pick it up, he had slipped and fell down and hurt his knee. So <laughs> I think that's the only oarfish related injury in history, but they would be very, very scary. And I've heard of divers that have run into them while trying to film, you know, like whale sharks and, and large animal or um, large fish migrations that have been just completely creeped out by them. Uh, they are very, very frightening. And apparently they do often react. They're an ambush predator, so they'll sit kind of in one place waiting for something to drift in front of it. So if you creep up on one and startle it, it'll behave very similarly to what he described, you know, kind of thrashing around trying to get away. Um, and they do appear extremely snake-like. Um, in fact, they are currently the number one forerunner other than manatees for uh, most likely candidate of what started the whole mermaid thing. So I just thought I'd throw that in there, um, you know, considering I know what it's like to encounter something really weird out somewhere that just you can't in the moment figure out what it is. So I figure maybe I can shed a little bit of light if possible and, um, you know, pass around some good karma. So you just keep doing your thing, man, and uh, hope you feel better soon. All right. Bye. Ryan is 100% correct. The oarfish is an amazing creature that can grow to huge lengths, even up to 50 feet. However, there is one issue, and Brian even touched on it. They are not found in shallow water. In fact, they are typically found in water between 600 feet and up to a mile deep. They only ever seem to come into shallow water when they wash up dead. However, despite these quote-unquote facts, I've actually seen photos and videos of these creatures alive and swimming in three or four feet of water. So take those particulars with a grain of salt. The final piece of information that helps support Brian's claim is as such. Oarfish live in nearly every ocean and are frequently found in temperate waters, such as the waters off the coast of Florida. Thanks again, Brian, for sharing that information. I could easily see how an oarfish sighting can provoke that sort of response. In fact, the oarfish is often considered the inspiration for the centuries-old sea serpent legends. Our next rebuttal focuses on a call from Episode 2 of Season 5, in which Corey called in to share her experience with a strange portal she saw while on a training session for her church. The following explanation comes to us from Orion in Maryland. Hey, Derek, this is Orion from, uh, from Maryland here. Uh, I'm the guy that wrote you an email recently about the my uh possible dog man wolf man theory um i just want to say i'm kind of a bumbly scatterbrain speaker so uh feel free to edit this call as much as you want <laughs> okay so i'm calling about last week's episode about Corey from uh utah she talked about the waking up like being jostled awake and waking up and seeing this portal on the wall uh i may have experienced this like i may experience something similar to what happened to her like extremely frequently uh i have a weird neurological order called a uh, visual snow syndrome uh 
basically it's diagnosis uh, based on like several visual disturbances, including snow or just TV static, like across my entire visual field with eyes open or eyes closed. Uh, this is the main symptom, and that's where the order or disorder gets its name from. So there's that. <laughs> One of the common symptoms of uh, visual snow is sufferers, sufferers are migraines, particular optical or uh, ocular migraines. For those who haven't experienced this, it's pretty awful. Um, it's like a migraine, ocular migraine, but has a wide variety of like tons of different visual bombardments. Uh, sufferers like myself also have oc or absent ocular migraines. And uh, basically it's like all the visual stimulus, but without any of the pain. Uh, I get both, which is like, I get them like every couple of weeks or sometimes like, like three to four times a week. Um, like some of the visual disturbances are like strobing. I get a lot of blind spots and this horrible zigzaggy, like pulsing, rotating shape. Uh, I get like color bursts. Boom, kind of like, kind of like Jubilee from X-Men is like throwing crap in my face. Uh, and more importantly, relating to this, I get like this pulsing tunnel or portal, like what Corey talked about, like smack dab in the middle of, of my vision. Uh, usually before I get any of these migraines, I get like a buzzing feeling, like in my neck or head. Uh, and like sometimes it's got like that pins and needles feeling across my skin and whatnot. So I guess that's kind of similar to what she was talking about. Uh, a lot of times I'm like woken up in the night, like kind of like, like the feeling when you, when, you know, when you fall in your dream and you hit and you, ah, woken up, woken up. And like, I just wake up and my room is like shifted into hyperspace. It's like, you know, constant, all the constant bombardment with the big tunnel in the middle. And, uh, I kind of just have to wait through it because it's, Eyes open, I see it. Eyes closed, I see it. And I just have to wait through the attack until it's over. Um, she mentioned that she was under a lot of stress uh, in the training she was going through and had, like, you know, lack of sleep and whatnot. This is, like, normally, you know, related to migraines. So maybe she had one of these absent migraines, absent ocular migraines. The first time I got it, like, I had no idea what was going on. Like, I thought I was, like, going blind or dying or, you know, seeing something paranormal, like some weird ghost portal or something, like like she referred to. Um, and I can only assume that someone else who experiences this has no idea and is, you know, terrified like I was. Uh, so that's my kind of, that's my take on it. Um, and, you know, just my two cents. Possibly this is what she was experiencing, but I mean, you know, you know, who knows? It could be something more of a paranormal related being that she said the building she was in had some history. Um, all right, man. Love the show. Uh, keep up the good work and I'll be calling in later with a couple other stories. I had a lot of interesting and weird stuff happen in my life and, um, yeah, uh, later. Thank you, Orion. I'll be honest here. I know nothing about the disorder that Orion detailed in his call. 
so I'm just going to go ahead and take his word for it. The explanation seems to make sense, but it does leave me with one question. If the experience that Corey had was simply a manifestation of this disorder, shouldn't it have happened again? And if it did happen again, why is it that Corey didn't mention it? Thank you again, Orion, for taking the time to explain, and I'm so sorry that you have to deal with such a terrible infliction. Finally, our last plausible explanation relates to a call also from episode 1 of season 5. Larissa called in regarding a strange light in the skies over her Colorado home. Well, Carissa wrote in with her explanation for what was witnessed that evening. Hey, I was just listening to your podcast. I wanted to respond to Larissa's story. The funny thing is, I also live in northern Colorado. I would be curious as to what town she is in. I also find it a little funny how similar our names are. Anyway, my two cents on this is I have also seen lights like this quite often. It used to creep me out because I have seen as many as three at a time. But while watching fireworks in the mountains this past 4th of July, I saw the same thing, as did everyone else. We were all weirded out, but later found out it was simply drones. I see a lot of drones now that I've been on the lookout, and they often seem much further away than they actually are. Especially at night, they do seem like little UFOs. Hope this helps, Carissa. Thank you, Carissa. I've sort of fallen for something like this as well. I was in downtown Palm Springs over the summer, and a couple of kids had these weird wind-up toys that would send an illuminated propeller 100 feet up into the air. From a distance, the streaking light looked quite otherworldly. It wasn't until I saw them actually launch the toy that I realized that was what I was seeing. So I could easily see how a drone, especially at a distance, at night, could give one pause. Of course, that's not to say that every UFO encounter is easily written off to drones. Thank you again, Carissa. Alright, let's get into the first story for the evening. This call fell between the seats, so to speak. Early on, I created a subfolder that contained a few stories that until now I didn't realize I even had. So without further hesitation, this is Dylan's call from Kentucky. Hi, this is Dylan, a long-time caller. Um, finally wanted to submit another story. This actually happened with my dad um, at a house that he used to live when he was a kid. And um, he told me this story, and it's, it's really creepy, so I wanted to get into it and share this uh, to all the listeners. So he lived in a country house outside of Wacaso County in Kentucky, and he was living there for maybe three or four years. And about three or four years of living there, activity started to pick up. You know, they would hear doors rattling, um, opening. They would hear voices. They'd hear people walking up the stairs, um, just random things. And they thought it was awful strange. But one night in particular, um, he had, I think, eight sisters and brothers. So... Um, he had a lot of family. Um, but anyway, they were sitting around in the living room, and they was enjoying supper, and they heard a knock at the front door. So my grandmother got up to answer it, and there was nobody there. And she said, well, that was, you know, awfully strange. So they sat back down, and about five minutes later, they got a knock at the back door. And 
they went back to my grandmother went back to the back door, opened it up, nobody was there. So she went back, sat down. She's like, "That's just really strange. Maybe it's the wind. Maybe it's you know something hitting against the door." Um, she really didn't know what it was. And then like five minutes after sitting back down, there was a knock at the front door, and there was nobody there. So obviously she thought that maybe one of the neighborhood kids was pranking them. So they said, "We'll do a plan to see if we can try to catch them." So he had, she had my sister Gail sit at the front door and she would go to the back door and my grandmother told my sister or my aunt um, whenever there's a knock at the front door you jump out and try to scare them well it was sitting there and maybe 10-15 minutes went by no knock well maybe 5 minutes later there was a knock at the front door my aunt just go ahead and, I mean, she just took off and jumped out the door to scare uh, the kids, but there was nobody there. And she was like, Mom, nobody's at the front door. And then when she said that, all of a sudden there was a big bang at the back door. So my grandmother jumped out, and and I forgot to mention, but it was pouring the rain. I mean, just pouring the rain. And... She jumped out in the back door, and she looked off her porch, and there was two little children shivering in the cold. And my grandmother is a very religious mother, or woman, grandmother, I'm sorry. Um, But she passed away of cancer um, when I was very little, though. But um, from from the story of my dad, what he would tell me is that she said that my grandmother said that she couldn't control what she said. And she said normally my grandmother would have, you know, invited the children in from the rain. But my my dad said that my grandmother just shouted out real loud, you little demons, you. And when she said that, um, the two uh, entities or spirits just vanished out of thin air. And... Ever since that happened, they would experience several different things. They had a closet that would never stay closed. They boarded it up with boards and nails, and next morning they would be out on the floor in line with each other, not just scattered, but they would be like just in a vertical line. Um, there was a time where they would hear horses running around outside. They would hear voices, they would hear um, several different things, Um, even a baby crawling on the floor, and the place was eerie feeling, and I still visit from time to time, just drive down there and see in the dark, and it it really terrifies you, there's something to do with that property, I don't know what what it is, but it's, it's definitely haunted, but I wanted to share that story, and there were several stories um, that my grandmother and my aunts and uncles um, had experienced, and I want to share that at a later time. So I really appreciate the show. I'm sorry for the delay of um, not sending much stories in here lately, but I've been busy. But I love the show and uh, just wanted to uh, submit that story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. 
Thank you, Dylan. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get to this. I'll be frank. When this story started, I was really hoping it'd end up as a black-eyed kid's call. After all, it did begin the way most black-eyed kid's stories do. But once it unfolded, I realized this story was perhaps much more bizarre. The thought did cross my mind that someone might be playing somewhat of a prank. After all, I can't imagine there's a lot to do in rural Kentucky, especially back in the day. But the detail about the children disappearing pretty much ruled out any chance of a practical joke. To me, this story is dripping with Appalachian folklore. Some of the tales that come from that region are downright amazing. Of course, I'm not saying that Dylan's family fabricated the story, but it certainly fits that stereotype. Be it their strong connection to the land they live on, their firm religious beliefs, or the long lineage of storytelling from the old country. But that region of the country, a region I grew up in, is wrought with legend, lore, and good old-fashioned storytelling. Thanks again, Dylan, for sharing this tale. What I would give to be a fly on the wall that evening. As you can tell, my voice is fading, but I'm going to power through. Our next submission is a written one from an active member on the Facebook group. This is Frederick's story from New Hampshire. Hello, Derek. My name is Frederick, and I'm writing in to tell of an encounter I had in the state of New Hampshire in the fall of 1994. It was a beautiful warm day, somewhere in the 70s. The foliage was perfect, so I decided to go for a hike. The forest was alive with noise. The birds, crickets, squirrels, and frogs all enjoying the day. I was about an hour to an hour and a half into the forest when I noticed a lack of all sound. I was taught that if that happened, a predator was near. So I stopped and assumed I would see a black bear running off into the woods. But what I saw about 200 to 250 feet ahead of me made my blood freeze. Standing at a telephone pole was this massive thing covered in red hair, except for its face and hands. The hair on its arms and legs was 8 inches long. The skin on its hands and face was a charcoal black color. The face looked like a baboon. I only got to see it from the side, but what I saw was both terrifying and amazing at the same time. Its legs, body, arms, and hands all looked human, only much bigger than any human I'd ever seen. But the face was nothing like a human. This thing was actually scratching its back on the telephone pole, which is why I think it didn't notice me. It made a deep growling sound, and that is when I came to my senses and slowly walked out of the woods. Once I heard the birds making noise again is when I began to run as fast as I could, and I didn't stop until they hit the pavement. Well, that's my encounter. I love your show and your Facebook page, and a big thanks to Addie for all that she does. Thank you, Frederick, and yes, I completely agree. A big thank you to Addie for all of her hard work. From time to time, I have Sasquatch stories submitted from the New England area. And to be quite honest, until I started researching this region, I thought they were simple yarns. But as it turns out, there are quite a few reported sightings in states like Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire. In fact, according to the BFRO website, that's the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, there have been 15 confirmed sightings since 2004 in the state of New Hampshire alone. And with the White Mountain National Forest a protected swatch of land covering over 750,000 acres, I suppose anything is possible. I do have one criticism of Frederick's behavior during his sighting, however. If the creature was scratching itself on a telephone pole, certainly a few hairs were caught in the wood fibers. You gotta collect those bad boys. 
Now, of course, that's very easy for me to say from the safety of my very own couch. Thanks again, Frederick, for the submission and for all the interaction on the Facebook group. Our next call takes us across the globe. This is Luke's submission from Australia. Hi Derek, uh, it's Luke here. Recently I shared a story about a silhouette or a shadow figure which I saw standing at the bed in my teenage years. Um, and as promised, I've got a couple of more stories, so here's the next. Uh, this story is a lot more recent. Um, it actually goes back to November last year. Um, at the time I was keeping notes about what was going on and a little bit of backstory on that was that I got unwell and had to take time off work to recover. Um, it was a serious condition with my bowel, so that was the best thing for me at the time. And in that time I started to notice I was dreaming a lot more vividly. Um, I was having a big jump in, I guess, intuitive feelings and just noticing odd feelings around me. Um, none of this was medication-inspired, <laughs> Um but yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a bit of a change and that's where I started to grow an interest in the paranormal and started listening to podcasts because I wanted to know more and find out a little bit more about what was going on. Um, now, it was actually in November of 2016. Um, it was the night of the supermoon. Uh, as I said, I had this all noted down. Um, so we had gone to bed, me and my partner, um, we had been asleep for quite a few hours now, so I'm guessing it was around sort of three or four in the morning that this happened. Um, I just remember lying in bed, um, starting to come out of the sleep, and but still being in that dozy state, but feeling really unsettled or unsafe. Um, didn't have any sleep paralysis. I was still in control of my emotions, could move my arms, could move my head. But there's a really unsettling feeling in the air. Um, it wasn't frightening, but something just really didn't feel right. At the time, I noticed my partner was squirming around on her side of the bed, making a fair bit of noise. Um, I think, okay, she's having a bad dream. And I had the urge to put my arm out across her and settle her and, and protect her. It was a really weird feeling. Normally you just like try to wake them up, but I feel like I had to do this to protect her. Um, at this time I was still feeling really unsettled and the feeling just got worse. And for whatever reason, I just started saying, whether it was in my head, um, it felt like I was saying it aloud, but I'm pretty sure it was in my head that you are to leave this space. You are to get out of this room. You're not welcome here. Like there was something bad in the room and I knew it. Um, and I had to stand out of it, stand up to it basically to, to move it on. Um, my partner's still wiggling around at the time. Now I'm thinking, okay, again, just like the last story, got to get the light on. For some reason, we find safety in the light. <laughs> it allows us to see what isn't, isn't around. So flip my arm up, hit the touch lamp, it comes on. My partner wakes up when the light comes on. And she's like, what, what, what are you doing sort of thing? Now, as I'd hit the light and the light had come on, 
I had seen what looks like a dust or smog in almost a two or three turn spiral go up from the middle of the bed on her side, well, in the middle but closer to her side, up into the ceiling. Um, the, the best way I could describe it is that, you know, from recently seeing the movie Fantastical Beast, there was that obscurous, misty type stuff. Um, that's pretty much exactly what it looked like, but it was a very clean two or three twist spiral that went up. And when I saw that in the movie, you know, my jaw dropped and I was like, that's what I saw. Um, yeah, so the light comes on, this spiral goes up to the roof, girlfriend wakes up, she's like, what are you doing? Why is the light on? And like, okay, babe, I just need to know what was going on with you at the moment because I'm trying to work out. I'm pretty sure I just saw something go up into the roof, but maybe it was in that, you know, transfer from waking to flicking the light on, being half asleep that I've imagined it. But she's obviously been tossing and turning. She stopped, she's awake, she's lying there. And she's like, I was having a bad dream. And I'm like, okay, now do you know why I turned the light on? And she said, yeah, to to pee me off. And then she went back to sleep. So I was feeling really unsettled. I'm just like, what on earth did I just see? It's the most random thing. And the fact that she had been having a nightmare and squirming around. I thought, okay, I lay back to bed. And I left the light on for a minute because I'm just trying to work this out and feeling very unsettled. So we went to bed uh, a few hours later. You know, we wake up. It's the next day. We're having breakfast in the morning, sitting on the couch. And I ask her, do you remember anything from the night before? And she's like, "Mm, not really. I remember I might have been having a nightmare and that was it. So I explained what had happened and what I thought I'd seen. And she was just like don't really remember any of it she goes I just remember I was having a nightmare um so I don't know what to make of it it's really really odd I mean she was obviously having a bad dream I thought maybe that could have I guess played into me being asleep and giving me a bit of a nightmare and waking me up in the process but the fact that when I flipped the light on I saw this spiral go up to the roof that's the bit that I sort of can't make sense of because, you know, I'm looking for all the logical explanations. But again, with this story, I've had nightmares before, but that sort of weird fear feeling, which is not normally there in a nightmare, was with this occurrence as the same as it was with my previous occurrence that I spoke of. Um, it's a level of fear which hangs around for a couple of days. It's very different. So, yeah, that's pretty much the story. Um, from there, never saw anything quite like that again. It was a one-off spiral up to the roof. And uh, everything flowed on as normal. Now, sometime after that, I do recall having another similar situation where a weird dream or feeling odd and fearful only happened once since. And I woke up and flicking the light on (laughs) this sounds absolutely crazy but what I saw or thought I saw were two large cat-like shadow 
things running around on the floor like I'd flick the light on, spook them and they were trying to get out the room in a panic. Um, they were about 50% norm- bigger than a normal house cat. They were definitely cat shaped, a little bit longer ears, a bit more elongated in the body. Um, a really weird flowy sort of motion to them with the body and the tail. But the thing that stood out is they didn't have features. They were somewhat opaque but three-dimensional and had a faint glow around the outside of their silhouette, almost like you'd see on coals in a fireplace. Um, Yeah, so I've had three unusual shadow being experiences, whether it's just part of my dreams, whether it's something I've seen, but the level of, I guess that fear feeling or that negative feeling that goes with them is what really makes me think "Mm, there's something else more to them so thanks again uh yep i hope you can use the story and look forward to listening to future episodes of the podcast thank you luke for taking the time to submit your story luke's call made me think of two separate things so i won't waste any time getting to both of them and this might be a bit of a stretch but hear me out on this one Luke's partner was obviously having a nightmare while he witnessed this strange phenomenon. I'm wondering if she perhaps conjured up the strange dust cloud in the form of a tulpa. Now a tulpa is a concept in mysticism that manifests as a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. So basically it's a physical manifestation created by your mind that can be experienced in our own world. Basically an imaginary friend on steroids. So what I'm proposing here is that Luke's partner created this swirling dust in her mind, which then emanated itself into our world for Luke to see. Not buying any of this? I can't say that I blame you. This is some crazy stuff. And truth be told, I could be way off. So now the second thought that came to mind is in reference to the creatures that Luke describes seeing. The description given sounds eerily similar to a description given by a caller back in Season 4. On episode 2 of that season, I played a call from Katie in Illinois who claimed to see a very large, cat-like creature with long ears. Here is a portion of that call. So, as I'm going down this hill, and I've probably gone approximately four feet away from the group of people that I'm with, um, I can still kind of sort of hear them, but I can't see them anymore. Um... The, it's pitch black where I'm at. The trees are blocking any form of light coming from the sky. Um, it's warm summer day. As I'm walking down this hill, I, the only thing that I can hear is like the mumbling of the group of people that I'm with at the top of the hill. There's no crickets. There's no birds. There's no rustling in the leaves. There's no wind. It's, it's dead silence. And that kind of starts to get me nervous, but I'm still, you know, nothing's going to happen. Um, so I'm, I'm still, you know, scanning around with the flashlight, smoking my cigarette. And uh, I get to where the tree is coming up to me. And then I start hearing this rustling in the bushes, like to my left. And I immediately brush that off as, you know, like a raccoon or a squirrel or something. And I take a couple more steps 
and the rustling is following me in, in the bushes. And so this is starting to weird me out a little bit. So I turn the flashlight over and I don't see anything. Um, so I'm like, whatever, the flashlight scared the whatever up the tree. Um, my flashlight then hits the supposed haunted tree. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, as soon as my flashlight hits the tree, this thing comes out of the bushes the stick of the forest or whatever and um stops right in the middle of where my my light has has hit this tree and the best way i can describe it is um a bigger than normal black cat with the whiskers the cat face the cat body the, the cat tail but the ears on the cat's head were bigger than normal. I they, I would compare them to almost rabbit ears, but they still looked like cat ears. They were still triangular in shape. Uh, they weren't like, uh, you know, stereotypical bunny ears. Um, and the eyes of this creature were really big. They were cat eyes but they they didn't have an iris they didn't have any form of like eye parts to them it was just like a solid red color and uh it looked at me and i am just in just shock like i've never seen anything remotely like this at all and uh i look at it and then it hisses at me and it was the most, it was not a cat hiss. It was sent chills down my spine. It, it made me shake. It, it was the weirdest sound I have ever heard. Um, the only thing I can really compare it to is if anybody knows what rabbits sound like when they're screaming. Uh, that's what this sounded like, only more high-pitched and terrifying um so i throw my half cigarette at it and i immediately turn around with the flashlight still in my hand and i just start bolting i am so scared i can't even think to scream at this point the only thing that gets me to start yelling for the group of people at the top of the hill approximately maybe 20 feet away from me is uh, the fact that I heard it chasing me. As you can hear, the similarities are uncanny. Cat-like in appearance, glowing eyes, larger than a normal house cat, and the kicker, the same elongated ears. Now, I don't think it's possible that we're talking about a flesh-and-blood creature here. I find it very difficult to believe that the same undiscovered species evolved on both the North American continent and the Australian one so it is only possible that the mysterious creature is some sort of supernatural being. What both Luke and Katie saw, I believe, may have been the same creature, or at least type of creature, whatever that may have been. Thanks again, Luke, for taking the time to submit. Our next call involves a very popular trope in the paranormal field. This is Keith's call from New Jersey. Hi, Derek. My name is Keith. I'm from New Jersey. I just started listening to your podcast 
So I thought I'd call in with my short little story. Uh, and the weird thing about this story is I didn't realize that it could have been something strange until almost exactly 20 years later after I had this sighting. Uh, so let me rewind back to 1997. I was a freshman at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And I recall it was a weekend my roommate had gone home. I think he had a family event to attend to. Uh, so I was by myself in the dorm. And it was a quiet night for me. I remember doing some studying in the common room, doing some reading, and then going back to my dorm room and watching some TV before I fell asleep. And it was early in the morning when I woke up. My bed was right next to a window. And I remember that the first rays of light, you know, when it's blue outside and just getting light, they were coming in between the crack between the curtain and the window. And I opened my eyes and the room was pretty, it wasn't completely bright, but it was bright enough that I could see everything in the room. And I opened my eyes and I looked to the right and I see a person sitting up against my bed. And the, the beds in the dorm room were set down a little lower to the floor than a normal bed would be. So I was pretty low to the floor, so I had a clear uh, line of sight. And this person was sitting up against my bed. The back again, his back was against the bed. His feet were flat on the floor, his knees sticking straight up, and his arms were resting on his knees. And it looked like he was just sitting there, just kind of chilling out. And the most salient uh, detail about this person was he had on this big wide-brimmed hat that looked like you know like that old-fashioned farmer's hat the old straw farmer's hat could have been like a stetson hat but it definitely was uh, a hat with a, a wide brim on it and so i'm looking at this and my first thought was that some drunk college kid had broken into my dorm room and passed out there. I don't know. That, you know, it is college after all. But uh, the problem was, I'm, I'm a little bit OCD-ish about locking the door, and I always locked it over for going to bed. So that probably wasn't a possibility. So I sat up. I, pro I didn't sit up, but I propped up on my elbows, and I kind of said in an aggressive tone, "Hello," and. There was no reaction from the person. He just looked like he was facing straight ahead, looking straight ahead. And I couldn't see a face because of the wide brim of the hat. And I couldn't make out the details of the clothing, uh, clothing sorry, because he was completely black and dark. So I said, hello, and nothing happened. And I'm, I'm staring at the guy. I'm blinking my eyes making, to make sure that I'm, I'm fully awake. And he's still sitting there. Uh, then after about roughly five to six, seven seconds, he slowly fades away. And I'm thinking to myself, did, did that just happen? So I was up after that, and I figured that I was just still half dreaming. So this was just a vision I had. I was half awake. Even though I felt pretty awake, when I, when I said hello to the, to the guy sitting against my bed. 
so. I I didn't think much of it after that, but it always stuck in my head because before then and since then, and I'm almost 40 years old, I've never had any any visions upon waking up. I've never had any groggy, dreamlike uh, visions. Uh, so I always thought about that every now and then, that it was so strange that that one time I had seen a, that vision in my room, and it was so clear I had never experienced anything before or since. So, like I said, every once in a while I used to think about it. And then about 20 years later, almost exactly 20 years later, in the spring of 2017, I was listening to a podcast and this particular podcast was about shadow people. And like I said, I had heard about shadow people not too long before. But this particular podcast began to talk about a specific type of shadow person called the Hat Man. And as soon as they started talking about the Hat Man, I thought of that night 20 years ago in my dorm room at Rutgers, and, or early morning rather, and I thought of that figure that was sitting by my bed. So right then and there, it it clicked that, you know, whether Hatman is a real entity or whether it's just a common vision that people have for whatever subconscious reason, I had experienced seeing a Hatman-type figure next to my bed. Uh, I just thought it was strange that 20 years before I had even heard of Hatman, either... I had actually seen him and not didn't know who he was, or my brain had conjured up an image of him that long before I even heard the name or saw a picture of him. So that's my story. Uh, like I said, I don't know if what I saw was anything supernatural or paranormal, but the fact that it was the only time I had ever seen a figure while, while I was awake like that and he ended up fitting the description of Hatman. I thought was a little, a little strange. So, thanks for listening to my story. I appreciate it, and I love your podcast. Take care. Thanks, Keith. I think nearly everyone listening has heard of the Hatman by this point, so I'll skip over the introduction and get straight to what I think possibly could have been a play here. College is stressful, especially in the first year or so. So it's entirely possible that what Keith saw was simply a stress-induced hallucination. When stress levels are high enough, the human brain can do all sorts of strange things. Granted, visual hallucinations due to stress are extremely rare, so the chances of this being the case are actually pretty slim. Otherwise, the Hat Man is well known for a reason. Claims of his visitation are quite common in the paranormal culture, so perhaps this was a clear-cut supernatural encounter. Either way, thanks again, Keith, for taking the time to call in. I have one more story to share with you guys, but before we get into it, I need to share some info with each of you. Did you know that Monsters Among Us is hosting a sticker contest? That's right, you have until February 28th to submit your sticker design. The designs will be voted on by the fans, and the winner will receive some Monsters Among Us goodies and prints of their very own sticker. To submit... Simply email your design to lloydmod at gmail.com. That's L-L-O-Y-D-M-O-D at gmail.com. Or just check the Facebook page for further details. 
and remember to have them submitted by February 28th. I'm getting ready to record the first paid episode for Monsters Among Us Beyond, so it's not too late to get in on that action. Simply head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast to sign up or simply follow the link in the show notes. And for those that have already signed up, thank you so much. The response has been overwhelming. I'll be sending you some information shortly about your very first exclusive episode. In addition to that episode, and weather permitting, I'm venturing out tomorrow to record a video at a proposed Bigfoot sighting location, a mere mile from my house. A sighting that prompted a lawsuit against the state of California. So if you're a subscriber to Monsters Among Us Beyond, look for that by the end of next week. Go ahead and get yourself some Monsters Among Us swag. I still have a few decals left in addition to the t-shirts and koozies, so hit up that shop tab on the website to pick up yours today. And lastly, I always need stories. So if you have a great one you'd like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. And if you're willing to have your story read on one of the paid episodes, please just mention that before the call. Okay, as promised, back to the action. My final call of the evening comes to us via a familiar voice. You may remember Alan from a call about a painted man running alongside his car. Well, Alan is back with another car-related story from the state of Arizona. Hi, Derek. It's Alan in Arizona again. Uh, just finished your Series 4 finale. Love the format. Love the special guest. Uh, I'm kind of kicking myself for not calling in for the hometown legends thing because I have an experience with the topic you had on, the La Llorona. But when I heard it, it was just this, the weeping woman story. Okay, my story happened back in... June of 1991, just before I was leaving for Marine Corps boot camp. Uh, My dad had kind of turned me loose since I was leaving for the Marines, and I was out partying pretty much before I left. I remember he had told me the story a couple years previous to my experience. So me and a buddy had talked about it. So one Saturday night, we'd scored a 12-pack of beer, and... We were going out to the area supposedly where you would hear the weeping woman. There's a few changes to the story, though, that my dad told me, and that it wasn't a mother, but it was a grandmother who was babysitting her grandchildren that got washed away in a flash flood. And she would walk the uh, washes looking for her missing grandchildren, and you would hear her weeping. The other part of the story was if you stopped at one of the washes, got out of your car, you could lock the doors and walk around the car three times and the doors would be unlocked. Well, challenging that part of the uh, story, I took a spare set of keys for my truck. Me and my buddy got out, grabbed our beer, and we're sitting off the side of the road drinking our beer. And he happened to look over and he said, hey, who's sitting in your truck? And so I looked up and I'm like, what the hell? There was somebody sitting in the middle seat, middle of the seat in the cab. 
So I run over there, go to put my spare key in the door, and the door is not only unlocked, it's popped open. There's nobody in the cab. He freaks out, I freak out. We jump in the truck, go to grab the keys that I left in the ignition, and they're gone. So I still have my spare keys in my hand. I get the truck started, and we get the hell out of there. Well, the next day I'm looking in my truck trying to find my original keys. I find them behind the seat in the passenger side corner of the cab, like somebody had tossed, pulled them out of the ignition switch and tossed them over their shoulder. So that was kind of the end of my little scary night there. And uh, two weeks later, I shipped off to MCRD San Diego for the Marine Corps. Uh, love your show. Got a lot more stories. I just don't want to overwhelm you, but I will try to call in at least once a month. Thank you for your show. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Alan. I kicked around the idea of saving this call for the next Hometown Legend special, but I thought it was too fun not to share. Outside of a strange reflection or trick of the light, I can't think of any other explanation that would put a figure in your truck. The detail about the keys made a rational explanation even more difficult to achieve. There is, however, one thing I'd like to say about this encounter. You guys have some serious cojones to get back in that truck after witnessing something like that. I might have walked home. Thanks again, Alan, for that amazing call. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us. And not a moment too soon, I have no voice left. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is given by the talented Warren Pawn Abbott and the amazing Addie Lloyd. Music for this episode was provided by Coag, Antitector, MyU, and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus, to get behind the wheel, to go out on the open road, to feel a rush of adrenaline. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exhilarating experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event, your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. Look in your home. Look in your office. Look in your home office. Everywhere you turn, there's so much smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart, too. Our game-changing FlexPath format puts you in control of your master's degree, so you can learn how, when, and where you want. Smart, huh? Yeah, we think so, too. So if you want to take the next step in your career, make Capella your first step. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn. Learn smarter. 
On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.